Ace 12, how's everybody doing? You guys are fired up. I like it. Today's December the 1st. That means that, yeah, there you go. It's Christmas. All right, how many of you guys remember Christmas when you were a little kid? It was when Christmas was the best. I remember when, when I was young, like maybe eight or nine years old, I wanted, remember what you wanted when you were a little kid? Like it's still, looking back, kind of means a lot to you. If you got it, if you didn't, it's just sad. I wanted a GameCube. Do any of you know what a, yeah, right. To you, those are like this mythical antique. Anyway, GameCube. I wanted a GameCube so bad. So I'm eight or nine years old, and I'm like, Mom, I want a GameCube for Christmas so bad. And this is what she said. She said, I will tell Santa. And like, you know, at eight or nine, you've had your suspicions. Like, I don't think this Santa guy's real. But my, all right, if I just ruined it for you, I apologize. But at eight or nine, I'd had my suspicions. But my mom said, okay, I'll tell Santa. So Christmas morning comes, and eight-year-old Coy is walking down the steps just full of excitement because you're a little kid and you know those gifts are going to be under the tree and I go around the corner and, and look and the tree's over here and I, I see this box and I just take off to it. I'm so excited and I, I get down and I unwrap it and I'm like, holy goodness, it is a GameCube. Game, Santa Claus brought me a GameCube so I unwrap it and I take it out of the box and I, I bring it over to the TV and I plug it in and I turn it on and I put those tiny little discs that the games were in it. I put my little disc in it and it starts working. And it's like, mm, and it turns on, and I get the controller in my hand and look at the TV, and nothing. Nothing. Like my whole life had built up to this moment. Nothing. It was a dud GameCube. So the next day, we took a trip to Best Buy and we switched it out. And that was the moment when. All my suspicions were confirmed. Santa Claus, not a thing. Not a thing. The GameCube had come from Best Buy, and I was like, you know, I knew Santa Claus. I thought I knew Santa Claus wasn't real, but it's still like a, dang, Santa is nowhere. That's a big deal when you're a little kid. It's like, ah, Santa is nowhere. And I'm not the only one who's felt that Santa is nowhere. Has anybody seen the movie Elf? Anybody like the movie Elf? See, our boy Buddy in the movie Elf, he, if you've seen the movie, he goes to New York and he's working at a store called Gimbal's and he hears that Santa is coming and this is that. Check it out. Santa. What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> you're Santa. What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Ten. And uh, what can I oh, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. 
disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <gasps> <gasps> I love it. And did any of you guys play with Legos when you were little kids? Well, I used to love Legos. I put a, long, a lot of long, hard hours into Legos. So this next part of that scene messes with me every single year. Check it out. See how sad Buddy is? He's not Santa Claus. He experienced the same disappointment that I experienced. It's hard. Buddy, Buddy was expecting Santa Claus, the Santa that he knew, and he had these expectations for Santa to show up, and Santa didn't show up. Santa was nowhere. And, and I don't think that I'm the only one that's felt that. I don't think Buddy's the only one that has felt that. I think... I'm willing to bet that everybody in this room has felt that feeling to an extent. I bet that each of us had had moments where someone was supposed to show up for us, and they didn't. And sometimes things go wrong in our lives, and, and we start to wonder, is God even real? Is he even, is he even paying attention? Where is he? Because it can seem like God, the king, is, is nowhere, and that's your first blank. If you're taking notes, uh, first blank of your notes is the king is nowhere. And, and this is a tension that every single person has to live in. No one has the perfect life. I don't care what it looks like on Instagram. Nobody has a perfect life. Things go wrong, and it, when things go really, really wrong, it, it can start to seem like, like God has left us, like he's distant, like we don't know where he is. And, and when something breaks down, it, it seems like God has just disappeared altogether. Maybe a, a family member gets sick or gets hurt. Maybe, maybe you're trying really hard in school and you're putting in the work and, and your grades just aren't coming up. Maybe, maybe you have a friend and, and you think you guys are cool and then you find out that, that he or she's been talking behind your back. Maybe... Maybe you lost a friend. Maybe you didn't get into that college. Everybody in this room has dealt with something disappointing, has dealt with something difficult, something hard. And in those moments, it's so easy for us to look around and say, God, where are you in this? Where is the king? But here's the good news. We're not, we're not the only group of people who felt this. Uh, there's another group of people, you might have heard of them, they're called the Israelites, and they really struggle with this. Let me give you just a little bit of background. And if you look in the Old Testament, the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they kind of start out with what we call the patriarchs. And, and these were kind of the fathers of the nation, and they communicated with God, and they, they understood what God wanted them to do. They led the nation, they, they led their family 
And they were the ones that communicated with God. And, and then there was the season of the judges. And when the people of Israel, the Israelites, had a problem, God would send a judge to, to deal with the problem, to fix the problem. And then the people, the Israelites were like, well, we want a king. All the other nations have kings. We want a king. And so then kings happened. And, and the king would communicate with God on behalf of the nation of Israel. And we just got done with a series called Kings in November. That's what we were talking about, these kings. And, and from the period of the kings on, we also had prophets. The nation of Israel had prophets, and they would come, and they would speak on God's behalf. See, the nation of Israel always had this connection to God. And then, all of a sudden, the prophets stopped. They stopped. Where, where God had been speaking, there was now silence. Where there was a king, now the king was nowhere. Not only was there silence, but the Israelite people ended up in captivity. Where there was God's voice, there's, there's nothing. Where God seemed to be present and working and active, now he seemed to be absent and gone and inactive. See, all throughout the Old Testament... God is leading the nation of Israel. He's in communication with the nation of Israel. And then the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. Malachi was a prophet. He, he spoke on behalf of God to the Israelites. And then, so the Old Testament stops with the book of Malachi, and then the New Testament starts over here. Well, the Israelites found themselves in this period called the intertestamental period that was 400, about 400 years long. So they had been hearing from God all the way through, and the prophets stopped. And for 400 years, they dealt with silence. And that's, that's where we're going to pick up in John chapter 1, the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospels. If you have a Bible, head over to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, grab, there's one under the seat in front of you. Uh, go ahead, grab that Bible, turn to page 1062. That's John 1. And so John starts off talking about the Word, and that's Word with a capital W. And what John means by the Word is Jesus. So knowing that, Jesus, capital W, Word, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John is telling us that Jesus was with God from the beginning. He's saying that God did not create Jesus, that Jesus is God. So in the beginning, Jesus existed with God the Father. We, we describe this as the Holy Trinity. The Trinity, there are three parts of one God. So you have God the Father, then God the Son, Jesus, and then you have God the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. So three parts, one God. John is saying Jesus has been here from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And this is what I want us to zone in on. It's, it's all the way down. Jump down to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what's the big deal? Why, why is verse 14 so important? See, what we were just talking about, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you have all the way from the patriarchs to the prophets. If you read the Old Testament, you see that all of this is pointing toward a Messiah, a Savior, 
someone is going to come and save the nation of Israel, liberate the nation of Israel. The whole Old Testament points to it. And so all these people are anticipating their Messiah. And then the prophets stop. And it's silent. They don't hear from God. They had all this anticipation built up. And all they got was silence. They had expectations of a Messiah. And all they got for 400 years were unmet expectations. That's why this is such a big deal. But see, God had an answer to the 400 years of silence. God had an answer to the lack of prophets. He had an answer to the a lack of people speaking on his behalf. He had an answer to captivity. And God has an answer when we feel like he's nowhere. God has an answer when, when things go wrong in our lives. The Bible teaches us that God goes from the king is nowhere to the king is now here. And that's your next blank. The king is now here. That's what happened when Jesus busts onto the scene. They call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You have to see this. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. Jesus brings a resounding, I'm here, to the people of the world. Imagine that, 400 years of silence. You're just waiting all that time. You hear nothing. And God responds with Jesus, here I am. And another note, around so 400 years after the Old Testament, no one is around who had who had been living during the Old Testament period, right? It's 400 years. So, so what you get, research tells us, is you get a lot of different ideas about the Messiah. People had, had heard about this Messiah that was anticipated in the Old Testament, but by this time, with 400 years of unmet expectations, doubt probably began to creep in. And, and so you have different views of who this Messiah might be. Early pre-New Testament Jewish writings show us that there were some people who didn't think a Messiah was coming at all. Said, oh, he hasn't come, he's not coming. Other people thought that, that he would just be this major political figure that would free the nation of Israel from Roman rule. Other people thought that he would be supernatural, but they had a ton of different views on who their Messiah would be. And that sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Think about it. Something terrible can happen in our lives. Sometimes we feel helpless and, and you feel like God is silent. Everyone's felt that. Some of us have, have heard God and, and felt God before, but, but now it feels like he's distant. And others of us would say that I've never heard God in my life. I don't know him. And no matter no matter where any of us fall on that, no matter what any of the Israelites 2,000 years ago thought about who their Messiah would be, God gave the answer. Jesus is God's way of breaking the silence 2,000 years ago, and he's God's way of breaking the silence for us now. He came so that we could be restored to God, that we could have a relationship with our creator. And God is no longer silent. There's, there's no distance from God anymore. Jesus came and died for a relationship 
with each of us, we are no longer left to wonder about this. We are no longer hoping for a Messiah or a Savior. We have one. And I know that, and a lot of you know that, but most of the world, they don't know that. They don't know that. See, we live, we live in a world that is distant from God. A lot of people only hear silence. And, and maybe they know, maybe they know they're missing something, but there's no thought that it could be God. Maybe they think that, that if they would just meet the right person, the person that could complete them, that would work. That would, that would provide them with what they're missing. Maybe they think that, that a politician can come and, and provide what they need. Maybe, maybe they're curious about God. Maybe they're like, you know what? There probably is a God. They just don't know him. See, we sound a lot like the Israelites. We got a lot of different views of who Jesus might be as well. But as Christians, we have the opportunity to show people the one that they're looking for, whether they know he's the one they're looking for or not. So let's look at what happened when Jesus showed up. He brought some things with him that, that people in our world desperately need, and we're going to bring these things to them. Christian literally means little Christ, as in we are in this world to, to live like Jesus and do our best to be like him and show people who he is. So what did Jesus bring to the world when he came? Look in John 1, verse 4. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The first thing that Jesus brought was life. And that's, that's a blank on your notes. Uh, the king brings life. See, when Jesus came, he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't come for for passing pleasure. He didn't come with, with like a fake version of fun just to get your mind off of the bad things. No, he came to give you a full life. He says in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. How many of you guys like The Office? I love The Office. I No, seriously, I love it. You should hear my wife talk about The Office. She quotes Office all the time. Anyway, the Office is hilarious, and if you've seen it, a lot of us, you might, you'll understand this, a lot of us act like Michael Scott when he's in the room with Toby. Now, what you got to understand is Michael Scott hates Toby. Doesn't, he doesn't, no, nah, I don't like Toby. No, he hates Toby. And, and he is incredibly negative when Toby is around. Check it out. Can I just say that of all the idiots... In all the idiot villages, in all the idiot worlds, you stand alone, my friend. And if I had a gun with two bullets and I was in a room with Hitler, Bin Laden, and Toby, I would shoot Toby twice. Yeah. Be what I think that I don't even know is in there because there are a lot of presents in my car and I don't know which is which. Suck on this. Should I keep going? Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. 
all the time. Every time Toby's in the room, it's like that. He's so negative. And he would say, Michael Scott would say, well, it's Toby, because Toby sucks. But that's not the case, is it? That's Michael's problem. Every time Toby is around, Michael is negative, he's pessimistic, he's, he's a downer. He brings negativity to the room. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you bring? What do you bring? What do you bring when you see your teachers? What do you bring when you see your friends? What do you bring when you see people that you don't know? What do you, see when, what do you bring when you see people that you don't like? What do your parents say you bring? Siblings. What do you bring? Are you the kind of person that is pessimistic about life? Are you the kind of person that's, that's down, I'm tired, the week sucks, it's terrible? Are you that? Are you bringing the team vibe down? Or are you pumped? Are you happy? Are you joy? You got to understand, as Christians, we have so much to be happy about. Jesus has brought us the ultimate joy. He has come and died so that we can have a relationship with our creator. He has paid for our sins, wiped that away. We have everything in the world to be pumped about. And a lot of the time I feel, and I, can, I do this, I'm a downer. But, but Jesus brought life. He brought a full life. And that's what we're called to bring as well. And we have it. We have it in us. So what do you bring? What do you bring to the world? What are you showing people? The next thing that, that Jesus brought uh, is John 1.5. And it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So not only does Jesus, Jesus bring life, he also brings light. Jesus brings light. That's your next blank. And light does two things. The first thing that, that light does is it draws people to it. It draws people to it. Think about, uh, have you ever walked outside, especially in the summer at night, and like some big stadium lights will be on or lights on the side of a house will be on, you'll look up at that light when it's dark outside, and what's all around the light? Bugs. Bugs are all just swarming around the light. It's because it's dark outside, and they see this light, and they can't help but move toward it. They can't help seeing the light in the dark. If I were to turn out the lights in this room and light a candle, all of you would look at the candle. You wouldn't be able to help it. Not at first, at least. See, we are attracted to light. Light draws people in. Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. The light of the world. As Christians, with Jesus in us, we are to go into the world and draw people in toward him by living like him. He says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you have the light of Jesus in you, you can't help but show it. You can't hide it. Even if it's dark all around you, people are, it's like a city on a hill at night and you look up and you just see the lights. People cannot help 
but see that there's something different about that person. Light draws people in. It, it commands attention. It pulls people toward you. Another thing that light does is light exposes. It exposes. Think about it this way. Uh, sometimes, if you're really lucky, you'll go to class and the teacher will say, hey, we're watching a movie. And you're like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. And if you're really lucky, the teacher will walk over to the light switch, turn that light switch out, and then the room will get dark, and you'll sit, you'll sit in the chair, you'll kind of snuggle up all warm and cozy in your hoodie, kind of slump down a little bit. Movie turns on, movie's playing, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to lean forward. Maybe put that head down on the desk, take a little snooze. Yeah, it's dark. Movie's playing, movie's playing. Movie cuts off, and then all of a sudden, boom, and it's like, ah, it's the worst. It's the worst feeling in the world. But you know what? It's because light exposes. It's like, boom, there it is. It's showing everything all of a sudden, just like that. Light, light shows what you can't see in the darkness. And listen, when Jesus showed up, he had answers to questions that were driving people crazy. Jesus had answers about how to find purpose in life. And he had answers to questions about life after death. See, this world is full of questions, isn't it? The world is, is broken. And people wonder why. And we have the answers. And as, as we live in a way that honors God, as we live like Jesus, we draw people in and cause people to start to ask some questions because they're seeing a way of life that they don't quite understand. I bet there were a bunch of questions that people asked about Jesus. I bet people looked at him and, and said, why, why did he lower himself? If he's a king, why did he lower himself to serve people who were considered untouchable, to love people who were consider, considered unlovable? Why would he do that? See, Jesus had a habit of loving the unlovable. And, and people didn't understand it. But what it did when, when people were like, oh, you shouldn't, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't lower yourself like that. That exposed their pride. When, when people saw Jesus working from morning until night, being with the people, loving people, serving people, healing the sick from morning till night, going, 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 going. They might have asked, why, why do you work so hard? If you're the king, why are you working so hard? People didn't understand. But what that did, it exposed people's selfishness. People, people might have asked, why, why, do you, why do you honor authority? See, they were under Roman rule, and Jesus was there saying that he was the king of kings. Well, why, if you're the king of kings, then why are you paying taxes to Rome? Why are you honoring that authority? People didn't understand. 
But that question exposed people's rebellion. People might have asked, why, why does he talk about this relationship instead of religion? See, the Pharisees, they, they had the law, and they were, they were sticking to the law, and it was almost a contest who could keep the law the best. It's these rules. We have this religion. Why is this guy, what's this relationship thing? See, Jesus, he would call God Father, and it exposed the need, people's need for a relationship with God. See, as we live our life differently, it, it's going to expose people's need for Jesus. As we do that, that's us bringing light. That's you being the light of the world. And not only did the king bring life, and not only did the king bring light, but the king also brought love. If you turn over a few pages, you don't have to turn there. It'll probably be on the screen. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, Jesus brought love. The king brings love. Life, light, love. Jesus, Jesus brought love, but do you bring love? Ask yourself that. Take a, little, take a little time to think about that. Do I bring love? See, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Jesus came out of, out of love for his people. He came to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve and to sacrifice. That's love. Jesus brought love in a radical, sacrificial, unheard of way. Do you bring that? The band can go ahead and come back up. But I, I want to spend some time in this. Do you bring love? Ultimately, we can't, I don't think we can bring deep, sacrificial love like Jesus until we know Jesus. See, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who, who know Jesus, who have experienced his sacrificial love we got to understand, we got to keep that love in our mind, and we are called to bring it into the world. What do we bring when we walk into a room? Do you bring a life-giving love? That's the question. Like I said earlier, it's December, December 1st. That means there are 24 days until Christmas. Amen, right? Get a little bit. People, I, I'm excited about Christmas. Now, we talk about Christmas as the season of giving. Christmas is the season of giving. God gave his only son, Jesus, so that we could have a relationship with him. And this Christmas season, this season of giving, I hope you realize that you have the opportunity to point people towards the greatest gift of all time. Because we have that opportunity, we get, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we get to point people toward life, light, the life, light, and love of Jesus. We get to show that to the people around us. 
Make that your gift this year. Make, make that. Make the love, light, and life of Jesus your gift to the people around you this year. Give, give a gift that changes a person's life. A gift that changes a person's eternity. So, one more time. Do we bring life and joy? Or do we bring death and negativity? Do we bring light? Does our life invite others into a better way to live? Do you, do you draw people in? Do you make them ask questions? Do you show them that there is something better, something more full? Or do you fall in with the crowd? Do we bring love? Do we sacrificially put others before ourselves because we deeply care for them? Are we pointing people toward Jesus? Are we pointing people toward God's ultimate gift, the answer to everything, the answer to 400 years of silence, the answer to our troubles in this world? Are we pointing people toward God's ultimate gift? Because when the King Jesus, when Jesus goes from nowhere to now here, that changes everything. That changes a person's life. That changes a person's heart. It changes a person's eternity. The King is among us. Now go point people to him. Let's pray.